It's good to see all of you here tonight. I appreciate your presence and uh, glad that uh, on a day when I know you can find other things to do, you're here. And I think you've chosen wisely to be here. It's, uh, it's always good to be uh, able to worship together, to study together, and to, well, talk about things that maybe help to conform our lives just a little closer to Jesus And really, isn't that what this is all about? I mean, what we're trying to accomplish in life is to become more like the one who lived 2,000 years ago. Um, And that's a challenge. And Christianity never gets boring because we never master it. It's never like, oh, okay, well, what's next? Well, you haven't perfected this yet. And the idea of discipleship is that of... An apprentice, you're learning under somebody else. And Jesus is the master and we're his apprentices and um, we've got a lot to learn. But hopefully as we follow him through the years, we get to know his heart a little bit better and uh, we get ourselves a little more in tune with him. And when you look back to the time when you, well, go back 10, 15 years, see where you were, Hopefully today, your life mimics the life of Jesus a whole lot more. The passage that was just read in Revelation chapter 21 talks about a time when there will be no more tears. And I, for one, look forward to that day when there's no more sorrow, nothing to cry about. Uh, We have received that heavenly reward, and that'll be a great time. But until then... We live in this fallen world, and we have trouble, we have tears, we have sorrows, we have disappointments and heartaches, and um, those things can get us down. When you look at the life of Jesus, as we try to remember him and become more and more like him, and to conform our lives into the image of him, uh, one of the things that I wanted to take note of is the tears of Jesus. Sometimes we read, well, three times we read of Jesus Uh, crying in Scripture. And uh, I wanted to look at those three occasions and see if we can learn something about him, his character, and uh, maybe challenge ourselves to be a little bit more like him in, in that regard. I know sometimes when we talk about following Jesus and becoming like him, we, we talk about his love, we talk about another number of other qualities, but do we ever focus on the tears? What broke his heart? What was it that made Jesus break down? Um, It would be good to be touched by the same things that touched him. Uh, I think that's a part of discipleship as well. And I'll tell you, you can learn a lot about a man by the things in which he delights. If you go to my office down the hall and walk in there, it won't take you two seconds or three seconds to know what I like. Uh, you'll see some Andy Griffith stuff, and you'll see some Pittsburgh Steelers stuff. In fact, tonight, uh, just a minute ago, somebody said, you got a Steelers watch on. Uh, yeah, I, I've. It, it took uh, all of about 10 seconds to notice that I like the Steelers. Wouldn't it be great if people came in contact with us and in that amount of time, they realize that person is a disciple of Jesus. Um, That's the goal. Uh, We can learn a lot about a person by what they laugh at, by what they take delight in, 
But we can also learn a lot about a person's character by what makes them sad and what breaks their hearts. Have you ever met anybody that just can't be moved? You can't see any expression of emotion. You, you can't see any sorrow registering, no softness of heart. Um, we've probably all seen people like that, but that's not the way Jesus lived. It's not who he was. And so I want us to look three passages tonight. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to John eleven thirty five to begin with. Now, John eleven thirty five, of course, is known as the shortest verse in our English Bibles. Jesus wept. Just two words, that's it, but boy, it says a lot. And uh, I want us to look at that phrase and see what it is that uh, has Jesus upset in, in this particular passage. And by the way, Isaiah 53 and verse 5 reminds us that Jesus was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. Everything's not happy-go-lucky. There were a lot of things that weighed on Jesus while he was here in the flesh and continue to weigh on him, no doubt. And those same things ought to weigh on us as well. I love to laugh. I love to have a good time. But there's a time and a place for laughter, and there is a time for mourning and sorrow and the shedding of tears. In John eleven thirty five, 35, the Bible says Jesus wept. Now, what was the background? You probably already know it, but <clears throat> Jesus had received word that his friend Lazarus was at the point of death. And so they were debating as to whether or not to go back to see him because they were looking for Jesus and they knew that if they went back, they might get him. And so some of the disciples were saying, we can't go back. We can't go back. And uh, I think it's interesting to note in this passage because we talk about Thomas doubting Thomas. We've thrown that negative tag on Thomas for doubting. And yes, he did doubt, but so did all the other disciples too. Jesus rebuked them all in Mark chapter 16. But we've kind of tagged him and held him out as the doubting one. But look who says, let's go with Jesus and let's die with him. Let's go back and if it means we die, we die. It was Thomas who spoke up and said, let's do it. I'm going with the Lord. And so they go with Jesus, but they delay in their going. And they wait until when they arrive, Lazarus, of course, has died. And um, when word reaches Jesus that Lazarus has died, or when, when word reaches Mary that Jesus has come, boy, she, she's in a house with the mourners, you can imagine, you know, your brother has died and all the friends and everybody comes over and they're trying to comfort you and, and fix food for you and all the things that happens. And, and when Mary hears that Jesus is there, she shoots out of that house and runs down and finds him and falls down at his feet. And she is crying and weeping and saying, if you had only been here, my brother would still be alive. And not only was she crying, but the masses of Jews, her friends, they came out with her. When she left, they left too, and they all get to where Jesus is. And they're all weeping and wailing. And so you have this mass of people who have come out to greet Jesus, and they're just torn up. They are brokenhearted. 
because of Lazarus' death. It's in that context you read in verse, well, look at verse 33. Just back up a couple verses. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit. I mean, he's moved. It just, it touched him. It was like, oh, he's broken for them. He's sad. He groaned in his spirit and he was troubled. And he said, where where have they laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. I want you to note that the three passages that we're going to talk about all use a different Greek word for the term crying or weeping. And this word is different than the other two that we'll talk about. And literally, it has to do with the idea of shedding a tear. Not that of this loud outward wailing and losing it and just boo-hoo. You know, we, we have uh, words, you know, we, we cry, there's, there's the muffled thing, there's shedding tears, there's, you know, wailing, there's groaning, there's, uh, you know, boo-hoo crying. You know, we, we, we have a lot of terms to describe kinds of crying. And they had different terms as well. And this word that is used here has to do with the idea of not wailing, but the shedding of a tear. Your eyes well up and they get full of water and the tear breaks from the eyes. Jesus wept. I understand that, well, I don't know. In Kentucky, when you have funerals, the typical thing at a funeral home is that uh, the casket is at the, the front, and when the, the preacher gets done, he goes and stands at the head of the casket, and everybody files by and files out, and then they close the curtain, and then you're there with just the family. And that family says its goodbyes for the last time before they close the casket. And you're forced, or because of you know, the etiquette of the situation or the social customs, you're, you're there with them when they say their final goodbyes. I've done a lot of funerals for people that I had no association with, didn't know them from Adam. And so I'm not touched emotionally like their family would be. I, 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 there's a bit of distance between me and the, the person who died. And so some of the things that I can say, I can say uh, a little more easily than someone that I knew well. <clears throat> but I'll tell you, when you stand at the head of the casket, even if you don't know the person, and you watch a wife say her final goodbyes to her husband, and hear the last words that she says to that body, when you see a son or a daughter break down and cry and say how much they miss them and how much they meant to them, and uh, when you see that, even if you're emotionally detached because you didn't know that person, boy, I'll tell you, the tears well up in your eyes. You see, that's the picture that we have here. Jesus is not crying because Lazarus died. I don't know that Jesus ever cried and from the scriptural record because somebody died. 
but he's crying here not for Lazarus because he knew that in a matter of moments he was going to raise Lazarus. In fact, that's why he delayed in going. He wanted him to die. He was going to go raise him and bring God glory in the, the process. So it's not that, oh, I'm so upset Lazarus is dead. He meant for that to happen. He was going to raise him. He knew that in advance. What's touching Jesus is seeing those people, seeing his sisters, Mary and Martha, seeing his friends who have gathered together and they're brokenhearted because they don't know Jesus' plan. They just know they've lost someone close to them. And they're broken. And when Jesus stands in the presence of people who are broken, he weeps. He sheds a tear. That's compassion. As people trying to be disciples of Jesus, trying to to imitate him and be apprentices, we need to learn to be touched by the difficulties of others. Don't get so wrapped up in your own life that you can't suffer with other people. Don't get so caught up in your own family and your own affairs that when something happens to somebody else, as long as it's not your family, it doesn't really affect you. Jesus was touched by people, and so should we be. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. He didn't weep over death. He wept over the sorrow of people. And Jesus sympathized. Let's learn to develop that sympathy for other people as they go through sorrows. Let's look at a second time that we read of Jesus crying. John, or Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. If you have your Bible, you might want to turn there. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus, well, this is as he has triumphantly entered into Jerusalem. Or, excuse me, Luke 19. I said 14, I think. Luke 19, verse 41. <clears throat> and uh, Jesus, as he grew, drew near, he saw the city, and the Bible says he wept over it. Now, like I said, there's different Greek words here. The, the word that was used in John even though it's the same English word, wept, it's a different Greek word. And, and in this case, it means loud wailing. It's not the word for just shedding a tear. This is wailing, loud, crying out loud. What's the situation here? Well, if you'll remember what had happened and transpired, in fact, the, the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You know, you're the one, you've killed the prophets and I would have taken you in like a, a hen takes in its chicks and protected you, but you wouldn't let me. He was brokenhearted over the fact that these people were going to face a destiny that was not, was not bright. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, he tells us what's going to happen. The Romans are going to surround this city because of your rejection of God and his prophets that he had sent. God's going to bring discipline upon you. He's going to punish you. And um, in the form of the Romans in AD 70, coming and surrounding the city and destroying Jerusalem. There were all kind of atrocities there was no food. You know, they had besieged the city and they'd run out of food and people were, were eating their own children and that kind of thing to survive. It was, it was a terrible time that Josephus describes for us and that the Lord said would happen. 
And it did. And Jesus, knowing that their house would be left desolate, he looks at this great city that has so much significance in the history of God's people, and he sees nothing but destruction. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he doesn't just shed a tear, but on this occasion, he weeps audibly, aloud, loud crying out because of what was going to take place to these people. And again, take note, why is he crying? It's because he sees and knows what's going to happen to others. Again, the whole idea of empathy for others, it wasn't for himself that he was crying. It it was for those who didn't understand what they were doing. He was saddened by the sin of the people, by their rejection of God, and he knew the impending judgment that was going to come upon them. Listen, when we look out in this community and we see people going about their business without Jesus, I know what that means. I know what kind of impending judgment that will bring upon them. Can that not touch you? When you read the obituaries in the paper, does it sicken you? Does it bother you that you see so-and-so and they die outside of Christ? It has their loved ones listed and all this, but, but they die outside of Christ. Jesus saw the destruction, the impending destruction of people, and it broke his heart. When we see it, it should break ours. We need to work at that. I want to be able to share in the tears of Jesus. I want to develop that quality to see the lost and see them through the eyes of compassion like Jesus saw them. He saw the suffering because of what sin and death brings to the world, and he was touched by it. He sees the impending doom of people because of their rejection, because of sin. He is broken by it. And here's the third time that we see crying. And that's in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. If you have your Bible, turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. And again, a different term that is used here than the other two terms. And the Greek terms that are used in this passage describe the tears of Jesus in a way that they have reference to a strong or mighty outcry of desire. He's asking for something. The the, the prayer that he's praying, the tears, the cries that he offers up are cries of desire. Look at Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, he's talking about Jesus. I know we're picking up right in the middle of context here, but who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. You know, do you remember what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? More than likely, this has reference to that account. When Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was betrayed by Judas and so forth, he told the disciples to pray and he went off alone and he prayed for a while. This is probably the occasion that the Hebrew writer is talking about. And he's asking God to save him. With vehement cries, 
he asks God. It is a desire that he, he calls out and desires help. And you know what I find interesting? This passage says that God answered, heard his prayers. Wait, I thought the prayer that he prayed was, Father, let this cup pass from me. Didn't he pray that? Don't let me have to do this. I don't want to die on the cross. I don't want to have to go through this. Let this cup pass from me. That's what he prayed. So how can we say that God heard his prayer and answered his prayer? Because he did have to die. Well, that's not all that he prayed, is it? We were talking about this in Bible class this morning, but not only did Jesus say, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus prayed that the will of the Father be done, and it was. God heard his prayer, and he answered his prayer. But I think it's interesting when you look at this account, Jesus, what's he facing? Well, he's facing being turned over to Satan and let him have Adam. He's not going to have the divine protection. The angels aren't going to be called from heaven to, to minister to him. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 4, when he was tempted at 40 days, he, he fasted and then the devil tempted him. And then the angels came and ministered to him. There's, there's going to be no Calvary this time. There's, there's going to be no rescue. Uh, cavalry, uh, I said Calvary. There's, there's not going to be anybody rushing in at the last minute to save him. This is something he's going to have to face on his own. And he dreaded it. He didn't want to do it. Well, just even to think as a human, and Jesus was human, the fleshly side, do you, how would you like to know what tomorrow holds in detail? How would you like to know how you're going to die before you have to go through it? Jesus knew. And that's a heavy burden to have to carry. And he didn't want to go through that. And Paul in Philippians 2 says, boy, he died, not only did he die, but he died even the death of the cross, Philippians chapter 2. There's there's horror to this death. And, And then the weight of the world, the destiny of humanity hangs and hinges on his shoulders. Will you... Hold up. Will you stand up? Will you do the right thing? Will you lose your cool? Will you still stay the sinless, perfect sacrifice in the midst of what all is about to befall you? All of that came down and bore on Jesus, and he cried out to God for help. You know, there is, again, another time when Jesus cried, shed a tear, and it was with reference to having to uphold and to remain strong and firm and and this calling out to God, a desire to do right and to be right and not to give in to sin and to be so moved by that and broken by the possibility of letting God down. That's what Jesus was about. We need to be the same way. Listen, when we sin or when we're facing temptation, we're too cavalier sometimes. Yeah, okay, well, here's temptation. Uh, I'll try. No, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I go ahead and do it. And I sin because after all, I know, you know, I got forgiveness. You know, all I have to do is pray and he'll forgive me. And 
It's too easy. We, we need to struggle with sin. We need to fight sin. And we need to give ourselves and cry out to God for help not to give in and not to cave so easily. That's what Jesus did. And so we see in these three passages three times when Jesus cried. Once he shed a tear, and it was for the sorrow that he saw in other people's lives. Once he cried out loud, loud wailing. It's because of the destiny that he knew that these people were about to to meet and it was not going to go well for them. And that broke his heart. And a third time is when he had such a heavy load, responsibility, he had to do it right. And he cried out to God for help. We need to be crying out in that same fashion to God for help. With vehement cries. Listen, you want to raise your kids the way God, you you want them to grow to be godly people? Ask God for help. With vehement cries, ask him for help. Do you want to reach people who are lost in the community? Cry out to God and seek his favor and seek his help. Those are the kind of things that Jesus did. I hope that listening to just this one aspect of the life of Jesus will remind us a little bit more about who he was and what we're trying to be more and more like. I hope that with God's help, we can have hearts that are more tender, softer than what maybe they are now. When I see Jesus, men cry. Real men cry. Jesus cried. He was touched by things that moved him to emotion. And so should we be. Let's learn to take delight in the things that Jesus took delight in. But let's also learn, and maybe even a harder lesson, to be touched and moved to tears by the things that move Jesus to tears. Sin is one of those things. And listen, if you're living in sin, Jesus is brokenhearted for you. If you've not yet taken advantage of the redemption, the forgiveness that he so freely offers you, um, he is in heaven, broken-hearted for you. Why not take advantage of his grace? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I, I believe that. He'll keep his word. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. If you're a child of God already, unfaithful, you need to make some changes in your life, you want to be more like Jesus, and you want the brethren to pray with you the, to that end, uh, We'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.